Hello and welcome to Fire Away, Rudner Law's online employment show addressing the questions or the employment law matters that are of interest to you. My name is Stuart Rudner. I'm an employment lawyer and mediator, and I'm your host of Fire Away. Just a reminder that our show streams live online monthly, and our episodes are always available on our YouTube channel, on our Facebook page, and on our website. If you're watching this live, we'd love to answer any questions you have, so feel free to either post comments on Facebook or on YouTube, or tweet, to, tweet them to at Rudner Law, and we'll do our best to get to them. Our guest today is Richard Sellis. Richard is an executive, senior executive consultant with IG Wealth Management and the principal director of our Sellis & Associates. Richard has 15 years of financial planning experience and an additional nine years of business management experience. And I'm very excited to talk to Richard today. We're going to talk about a bunch of topics, including uh, things like financial issues that arise when you get a severance package, how to evaluate the or assess the value of your employment offer, pensions, benefits, and how to plan and navigate your financial future. So Richard, thank you very much for joining us on Fire Away. Thanks, Stuart. I'm happy to be on. Looking forward to the discussion. So in terms of, uh, you know, we often partner with your team. You guys provide expert advice on financial planning matters. And in terms of when we can work together, a number of different situations arise. One of them is terminations. So obviously, I run your law. Our job is to provide the advice to our clients and make sure they understand the law, make sure they understand what their options are, what their rights are. Uh, and of course, when we're talking about severance packages, often we're dealing with someone who's just had an interruption in their earnings and they be, may be offered a lump sum, could be a significant amount of money, or they might be having to deal with what they do with their stock options, how what happens to their pension plan, what about their disability benefits? All these things come into play. We can give them some preliminary advice, but we always recommend that they deal with you know, someone like you and your team who can give them the expert advice. So. Take us through the process of when someone comes to you having recently lost their job, what uh, what do you do to, to start with them? Well, it's interesting you say that. I actually just did one yesterday. Um, so where we usually start is very similar to probably where you start. Um, and that's trying to get a, an idea of what has happened. Um, so I can take you through what happened yesterday. I think that would be a great example. Yeah. Um, first and foremost, I mean, you said it before, uh, you guys are not certified financial planners and we are not lawyers. So the first thing we do with our clients is say, okay, do you have representation, right? Because it's important that they know the law and they should never really be looking to get that information from their, their financial planner because we're just not equipped for it. You know, there, there's a lot of um, nuances that go with labor law that, I mean, you've enlightened me over, you know, the 10 plus years we've been working together um, and, and we're not really suited to answer those questions. Am I getting enough? Is it a fair market value? Um, what options do I have to carry my benefits? Uh, you know, I had warrants or I had rights to buy stock. What will happen to those? All of those questions are negotiable with, with the institution or, or with the company that is making the decision. And I think it's important they, um, get a legal opinion on that and then we take over right no i think you and i are, obviously i know this where we we have the same mindset which is that if you are dealing with a legal situation like this really you know everyone loves the idea of one-stop shopping really you right. need it you need a team you need the experts in employment law and that's where we come in you need the experts in the financial planning which is where your team comes in uh mm. and I, 
particularly if it's a if it's a complicated severance package, if there are stock options, pensions, etc. Uh, but even in what I'll call a simple one, where maybe you're getting a lump sum, and uh, you know this better than I do, but of course, lump sums have an advantage in the sense that you get it even if you find new work, but they also have an advantage because they can be paid far more tax effectively uh, than salary continuance. So when you have somebody come in and let's say that they have a, a fairly straightforward severance package, uh, you know, what advice do you usually give as far as lump sum versus salary continuance? So a lot, a lot of it comes down to um, where they are mentally. Uh, and I think you and I've had this discussion a lot of time um, depending on where the client or, or when the client has just lost their position. Um, if it's early on, we really would like them to take some time, kind of refocus, re regroup, and get an understanding of what they're going to need going forward. Uh, most often than not, um, when we come in, uh, a lot of the preoccupation lies in, hey, I need to make up my salary. And so if I'm not going to take salary continuance, which could be you know 10 weeks, 20 weeks, 80 weeks, whatever the negotiated amount is. Yeah. If I don't have that income coming in, then what's going to happen with um, with my with my income? How do I get that from a lump sum? And interesting enough, one of the biggest things we find or we really look at is when are they released from employment? See, if you're released from employment later on in the year, you've already made income. So let's take someone who makes uh, $100,000 a year. If you've been let go in the first 10 months of, of, of the year, you've made 10 months of salary. Now add on your lump sum. Well, that could bring you on to a lot of high-end tax consequences where we may say, let's shelter that and move that directly into an RSP if we have room. Or we communicate with our, with our counterpart in, in, the, in the law firm to say, can we push this to a January date, right? Can we get them to pay out in January, therefore alleviating our clients' tax consequences? And that's something that we work with. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And this is often, you know, you don't always have the choice, but uh, as an employee who's been let go, you might have the choice. And mm -hmm. usually my, my assumption is that almost in almost all cases, the lump sum is going to be better, uh, like right. I said before. You know, if you take a salary continuance, it usually has a clawback, which says that if you find new work, salary continuance ends and you get some reduced amount. Whereas if you get a lump sum, you can start work the next day. Um, right. Well, from a tax perspective, it can be far more tax efficient. But you're right. I've had people come to me and say, well, it's now October. I've already earned a fair amount of money. Now I'm going to get, you know, 60 months of salary in one payment. My tax, you know, tax bill is going to go through the roof. So that's where your team comes in uh, and we right. can structure it. But, but also we get the feedback of, can we push into next year? Which is, <laughs> everything's on the table, right? Everything's negotiable. Well, and, and this is why, I mean, from the very start of the uh, this podcast, we're really trying to kind of say, um, you need to have both. You know, I, I need to be able to tell you your tax consequences. Or, you know, for instance, there are cases where someone is going to make that 16 months of lump sum, and they don't have the RSP room. We simply don't have an ability to shelter it. So we really would really like to see if the legal team could try to push that. And, and these are the factors of, you know, no one, you can't do a one-stop shop. You, you just can't, right? And, and I think that's just one example of what we're walking into and we're seeing more and more. 
Yeah, you know, there's no one-stop shop and there's no one-size-fits-all uh, because everyone's got their own unique circumstances and especially when you get into the more complex packages. So what, you know, what do you typically see when someone comes to you with other stock options that are part of their plan or pensions or RSP um, contributions? Um, and I know every, you know, one thing we always tell our clients they come in is, you know, by default, if you're let go without cause, all of your compensation, all of your benefits are supposed to continue. So when we see a salary or sorry, a severance package that says your salary will continue for X months, I would say, well, what about everything else? Yes. Uh, because by default, you're entitled to the rest unless there is either a clear contract or a clear policy, which says that this will not continue when you're no longer actively employed. Um, so as far uh, let's talk, we talked briefly about pensions before, uh, before we got on, on, on air. Um, what do you typically see happen when someone has a true pension, not RSP contributions, but a true pension, and then they're let go? So what, what we're noticing is almost always there is a continuation um, if they decide to take salary continuance um, to include a pension amount. Now, uh, pensions can be transferred from companies. Uh, and when they do, I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but there's usually two portions. One that will go into an RSP and one that will be locked in. And the locked in portion is the government's way of saying, we're not going to allow you to simply go through your, your retirement and, and, and blow it all. So there, there's a minimum that you can withdraw and a maximum that you can withdraw every year. Um, one of the big factors when we see people is they want to take that that juicy pension from their company and put it in their names as quickly as possible. And we have to reiterate, hold on a second. We can't do that without A, endangering your position with uh, negotiating with your company and B, without speaking to your legal team. Are they trying to get, you know, let's say there wasn't a pension inclusion, right? Um, are they trying to negotiate that for you? I mean, if you're looking at four, five, six, seven percent, could be quite significant when you're looking, especially if you're a long-term employee, 25 years plus. You know, we've seen some people make very good pension adjustments uh, as part of their packages. So we tell them, definitely go back to your team, explain to them. This is, I mean, generally, they would know. What's the strategy here? And um, how long do we wait before acquiring the pension into your own name? Yeah, and you make a good point. I mean, if you're going to have a team, they've all got to be on the same page. I know you Absolutely. know you and I, you and I will coordinate if we're advising the same client because I can't be negotiating for an extension of the notice period and then find out that everything's been transferred out. Um, <laughs> or that the client has made decisions based upon the fact they're going to get X when in fact I'm trying to get them X times two. Uh, yes. Yeah, everyone's got to be on the same page. That's a great point. And um, and, and I think it, it starts. Um, you know, anytime that you you find yourself in that situation uh, as a as a person losing their, their position, I think it's really important that, you know, when you work with a planner, you work with a CFP and you work with someone whose who's specialty is labor law. And, 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 I, and I go to it because these little nuances, I mean, we had a case where someone had close to $280,000 uh, of total um, compensation. Um, and then when the legal team went back, um, they found almost $35,000 with a pension compensation that was overlooked. That's a significant amount of money, right? <laughs> and so, so I, I think it's important to kind of say, hey, have you found out what your pension entitlement is? And um, if, you, if I'm allowed, uh, you know, when we were talking about stock options, uh, those are often the most confusing 
um, situations. Um, we, we have me, found, which is why I call you. <laughs> yeah, I, I find sometimes I have to uh, use my advanced uh, financial uh, uh, the planning team sometimes because there are so many complications that could arise. And uh, I'll give you an example. One of, one of the strangest cases we had was someone had actually been paying taxes on their options for years. And, and so they were entitled to them. And right. what happened when they were released was it was almost missed hmm. until we said, hold on a second, you've paid tax on this for five years. You have the rights to purchase it. They can't <laughs> stop you. They can't remove that right. And their HR department not you know, wasn't anything malicious or anything, simply just overlooked it. And that represented close to about $140,000 wow. of pure profit. So it's important. It's important to really know what your options are like. Are they warrants? And really what uh, we're looking to do when we're transferring them. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, I know like we work with HR and I don't, you know, this is why I turn to you. I don't understand a lot of the nuances but the typical severance package will say you're going to get X amount of money in terms of lump sum. You're going to get your bonus or you won't get your bonus. You'll get your benefits continued. And then, you know, the cop out usually is, you know, your stock options will be dealt with in accordance with the plan, period. And the reason, of course, <laughs> that, that's done is because whoever's drafting the document has no idea what the plan says. Uh, so yes. you're right. It's very easy for us to start negotiating over how many months of severance and do they get the bonus and what's a month of severance worth. And we all kind of ignore the stock options and the other issues. And like you said, it could be tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars, which is why, you know, I always say don't go to your cousin who's a tax lawyer or your neighbor who's a real estate lawyer. Go to an employment lawyer. Same thing, you know, in your case. Don't go to your friend who dabbles online in investing. You need to go to a certified financial planner. Yeah. And, and, and it's, yeah, it, it's really interesting you say that because we, when you're talking about um, HR, I don't believe that, you know, um, we need to malign them or, you know, um, put, put them under the bus here. But a lot of times they don't know. They simply don't know. And, and the reason is this was done at a very high level somewhere in some other boardroom a long time ago. And it was decided this is what we're going to provide you. And then what ha ends up happening is down the road, the information kind of gets stopped. So... You know, uh, I, I'm not, not sure if you're familiar with warrants, but I've seen people who have rights to warrants where they're fighting over something that's actually not worth anything. <laughs> Mathematically, yeah. it's not worth anything. So they're spending a lot of money on their legal team getting the rights to these warrants that have no value. And, and I try to explain sometimes they have to have a real value for you, or they should have a value before you start fighting for them. Yeah, well, and that's a great point because I, I'm happy to say, look, I'll fight for your rights, but there's no point in them spending money on legal fees if there's nothing for infinite for them at the end of the day. Right. Uh, so that's, that's where, again, your expertise comes in. Mm -hmm. uh, and we see that. And the other thing we've seen, I've seen this a few times now where it's a small company and the owner has decided to let somebody go and their stock options were supposed to best, you know, three months ago. But the owner says, I that guy should never, he didn't do a damn thing around here. We're not going to pay him out all that money. And they'll try to find some way to not pay the stock options. So usually you're right. Usually it's not malicious. Usually it's because someone didn't understand the plan. But sometimes you'll have companies who are really trying to make sure that the person doesn't get what they're legally entitled to. And mm -hmm. I might see a wording that says your stock options will be treated in accordance with the plan. I don't know what that means factually, but that's where you come in to assess what their entitlement is. Yeah. And, and I think it's also very important to know your rights 
um, to access your pensions, um, your rights to privacy when you access your pensions. Um, a lot of times what ends up happening once we get the uh, direction from both our client uh, and their legal team to say we, we've already negotiated, everything is settled, uh, we've agreed on everything, we will act on their behalf to, to move their pensions. And, and what has been happening, unfortunately, and it's starting to be more and more prevalent in the market, is the pension companies now um, reaching out to the clients and trying to keep them under a different umbrella. And that in itself starts creating that conflict. And, and, and sometimes the misinformation, you know, uh, where uh, we don't really see it so much from the company side, I guess you guys do. We see it a lot more from, from the, the providers of the pension where they will start misinforming the client or making it a little bit more difficult for the client so that they retain the assets. And, and it's a money game, that's, that's just the truth. But you should know you have the rights to take it as you see fit. Yeah, I think people just, there's a lot of confusion about what the rights are as far as transferring. And the other thing that we often see is, you know, you may have just, you know, basic benefits, medical, dental, disability coverage, life insurance. Uh, what do you typically see as far as transferability of those things? So once again, I mean, if you're going to work with a, a CFP, you should also work with a CLU. Uh, and then that will help you on that, uh, on that side and a CHS. Um, they are more uh, up to date. Uh, I have, we have both, well, I have all three here. Um, but it helps you, you know, um, know your rights. And, and a lot of it, where we're starting to see is people have an assumption that they're going to be, you know, their benefits are automatically going to be cut. And we've learned a long time ago, no, you get a right, a legal representation. They're going to work for, if you're going to do salary continuance, to continue your benefits. Um, and, you know, they're going to also assume, well, what about disability insurance? We mm -hmm. talked about that. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure you've seen that a few times. When we have to explain to them, you're no longer working, right? So disability insurance is not going to be kicking in. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's a really so, key point because, you know, I always tell our clients, you know, by default, all benefits are supposed to continue for whatever the notice period is. And that's true for medical, dental. It's true for disability. That's what the law says. But unless you tell me otherwise, Richard, there are no insurers that will continue coverage once you're no longer actively, actively employed beyond the Employment Standards Act period. I, I've, I've, I've not seen it. I, I mean, yes, I, it's, it's, I don't know if you want to call it that gray area. I mean, I think you and I advise on the same thing. If you want disability insurance, take your own policy at that point. And, and, exactly. and or try to migrate the, your policy from work and make it personal. Um, there's costs, right? And, and even your own life insurance policy. We see that with executives a lot where, um, you, you know, we have a key person insurance policy, um, maybe a million dollars worth of coverage, because if that person was to no longer show up, we would have departments having real problems. Um, and they will want to take that policy. Well, A, they don't own that policy, right? Even right. though they're in the insured. And B, the company doesn't have to give you that up. So once again, exactly where you guys come into play. You know, if they communicate with us, we'd say, hey, this guy's an executive. He has this policy. It is a large amount of money. Um, I think it's important that we look at trying to shift it into his or her name and go from there, right? And, um, and then we have to explain to them, you won't be paying the rate uh, um, if it's coming from a group policy to an individual. You won't be paying the group rate. So there will be a, a cost related to that. 
Right. Yeah. And it's one, one important thing that a lot of employers don't understand is that just because the insurance company says we're not no longer going to cover that person doesn't mean you're a reliever of your, of your legal obligation. So unless you have a contract that says we will not continue disability coverage after you let go, the employer can essentially become the insurer. Uh, and there's a number of cases over the last few years where somebody's let go and during the notice period they become disabled and the insurance company says you're no longer covered. So now they look to the employer and the employer can be on the hook and this could be a far more more significant liability than severance. Now we're talking about potentially the rest of their career in terms of benefits. So we often work with our clients to try to reduce that risk by putting something in the contract. But if they didn't do that and you don't get a release, then you open yourself up to two years of potential, you know, two years of waiting to see if there will be a potential claim. Uh, the other important right. point that we always make to our individuals who come in is you know, I often have people say, well, you know, benefits are not an issue. My spouse has got great coverage, uh, which may well be true. And so that may be, may be one of those negotiating uh, points that you easily give up. But and again, tell me if I'm wrong. I've never seen anyone have disability coverage through their spouse. No, no. And, and um, I, I, we get that all the time as well. Um, in fact, when we start the process and we start saying, you know, do you have legal representation? They'll most often start asking me a lot of questions in hope that I'm going to answer all their legal questions. And I'll, I'll reiterate once again, it's time you get legal representation. And, and the benefit thing is something that comes up all the time. And they'll say, well, it's okay. Uh, my wife is, is a teacher or, you know, my wife is an executive here or, you know, my husband this, you know. It doesn't really matter. It's it's your rights, and when you're co-sharing these these um, um, benefits, and you're not paying anything because they're covering off each other, why would you give that up? It's something that I think is very important for them to kind of um, step in and realize what their rights are, and realize what they're giving up by just simply dismissing it, right? And I think it's very important, and especially yeah. on disability, uh, but also life. Uh, life insurance is something that we've seen a lot of um, uh, cases, especially from a CFP and CLU standpoint, where uh, people have large uh, executive packages at work um, and don't take advantage of that. And, and you know, we all know uh, we're healthy today, but when we get let go, we might not be healthy. Um, that is that is under our health um, um, bracket when we took that out. So now we have an opportunity to, to take that and use that for ourselves. So some people, we, we've seen quite a few. We have one case where um, uh, the, uh, the person who was let go um, uses almost $30,000 worth of medication, yeah. right? So benefits is absolutely essential. And her life insurance policy is absolutely essential. So we try to really push that, the dollars and cents we get, but those are really, really, really beneficial. Yeah, that's a great point. And, I, and I've seen this situation where someone's let go and you know they, the employer tries to cut off the benefits right away because they know that this individual has a medical condition. They're taking significant medication. Maybe it's you know $20,000 a month and they try to cut the person off right away. And if the person doesn't know any better, they may sign off on a release and now they've incurred this huge cost that they're going to have the burden of. Uh, whereas we're off, we're often able to get people either back on coverage or some compensation if, if for whatever reason the coverage can't continue. But to your point, people need to understand their rights so that they can know what what to push for and what not to push for. Right, absolutely, 
We should, uh, it's already, believe it or not, 1254. So I want to switch gears quickly and, and go to the other end of the employment relationship. Uh, because I'm seeing a lot of this recently where people are being recruited away from their current job. And sometimes, you know, the base salary might be okay, might actually not be that great. Uh, but it could be a startup company. And the pitch is, yeah, the salary is not great, but we're going to give you stock options or some other compensation that will or might make up for it. So, and again, when someone comes to me, I'll go through the package with them and we'll explain the good and the bad, but I can't assess what the value of those things are. So if someone comes to you and says, I've got this offer, but it's primarily stock options or other you know, non-salary compensation, how do you assess that? Well, we, we've, uh, we've seen a lot of this with the, with the crypto market, the cryptocurrency market, with the cannabis market. Mm. Um, and, since, and since we've seen that come in, um, uh, we have seen a lot of people recruited into those industries. So I, I'm not bad mouthing any of the industries, but we give them a very fair and honest appraisal on compensation. And, um, and we explain to them what these options are going to look like and what they need to be um, before they mature to have or replace the compensation you would have been given. Um, I, we see it quite a bit. Uh, and, and we're definitely in a world where um, startups are, are the new thing, um, and, and they're, they're definitely pushing it. And, and you also have to understand, well, if I'm going to be paid in, let's say, cryptocurrency or, or I'm going to be paid in shares of a, of a cannabis company, um, what, what does it actually mean? Like, by the time I'm said and done, if I want to take my money and go to McDonald's and buy a Happy Meal, how am I going to do that, right? And, and that's really one of the big things. Right? So we will give an, a fair assessment and an honest opinion on it. Yeah, well, that's that's again why I refer people to you because I know you will. Uh, but that's critical because I think people often and, and I know we're all guilty of it. You have you know the rose-colored glasses on when you get this great offer from some new company, and you know you think this package is worth a half million dollars a year, but it's really sixty thousand dollars in salary and a potential for a half million. I mean, I see it as well. Bonuses. It's amazing how you read you know offers that say your your base salary will be. $100,000 and bonus of up to you know, 150% of salary. So people are thinking, okay, so you know, all of a sudden that's 150 plus 100, 250 a year, that's great. But then you read through the whole contract and it says bonus is purely discretionary. There's no obligation on the company to pay anything. And if they choose to pay anything, yeah. they'll decide how much. So when you get the job offer, and I say this to people all the time, you know, first of all, make sure that all the other uh, aspects are there that make it worthwhile, but financially, make sure it's, it's guaranteed and not potential because all of a sudden you might be lured away from a great job. Two months later, you're let go and you made, you know, a couple of thousand dollars in the interim. So uh, you need to get the advice yeah, I agree with you. on the CFP on that front. Uh, now, yeah. are you seeing any offers that actually have the uh, cryptocurrency in place? Um, and not, not so much uh, in place, but their bonuses are relegated directly to the market uh, uh, performance. Uh, very much like cannabis has been. Um, it's been one of those things where they've been, you know, the, the marijuana industry has been very much pushing stock uh, as, a, as a relief. And, and you're right, um, you know, if you look at some of these bonus performances, uh, you have to be pretty much like a unicorn riding over a rainbow uh, and, you know, and avoiding all the planes up there in order to achieve these bonuses. And um, sometimes it really takes people, uh, both on the legal end and, and the financial end, to explain that to them in a common sense manner and kind of say, great, but let's get a little bit more salary because we don't know if we're going to get compensated. 
on the end game. Yeah. And another important point to remember on bonuses, uh, which is a lot of times the contracts now say that your bonus will not be paid during a period of notice. So if you're let go, you're no longer actively employed, you don't get your bonus. And if someone is very bonus heavy, that might mean their compensation is actually dropping by 50 to 60% during the notice yeah. period at a time when they've just I lost do. their job. Uh, and I mean, Absolutely. the case law has gone back and forth a few times on this over the recent years, but the current current state of the law is that essentially by default, your bonus should continue during the notice period unless there's clear language which says otherwise. And companies are getting better and better at drafting that clear language. So you got to be careful about yep. that as well. I agree. I agree. 100%. So I think, uh, unfortunately, it's time that, to uh, wrap up. So Richard, Thanks so much for joining me. I'm not surprised that I really enjoyed the conversation. It flew by. Uh, if people want to get in touch or find out more about you and your team, what's the best way to do so? I think the best way is just to go through uh, rsalis.ca uh, um, or rsalisandassociates.ca. Um, we're available by email. Um, telephone, it will be right there. And uh, you can get through one of our associates. And then uh, hopefully we can help out uh, some of the people on the show. I'm, I'm sure you can, and I, I can say from personal experience, you and your team are tremendously responsive. So, um, yeah, if people need advice, don't hesitate to reach out to them. Well, and, and vice versa. You, you know we've had a long-standing great relationship. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And, and I know that you'll be candid as well. And if you can't help someone, then you'll just tell them that. Absolutely. So that's all the time we have for episode six of season two of Fire Away. I do want to thank everyone for tuning in. I want to thank Richard Sellis of R. Sellis and Associates for joining me for a great conversation on a whole lot of the more complicated aspects of severance packages or employment contracts and the fact that you really do need to get expert advice on what things like stock options, pensions, RSPs, cryptocurrency, et cetera, are worth before you sign off on any kind of deal. Our next episode will air on Tuesday, August 20th. I will be joined by Rudner Law's very own Sean Bernstein. If you have any questions after today's episode, feel free to email them to us at info at rudnerlaw.ca. Reminder that past episodes are always available on our YouTube channel, on our website, and on our Facebook page. And if you like or subscribe to those channels, then you can receive notifications. I will invite everyone to keep in touch with Rudner Law throughout the month, not just once a month for the show. Uh, check out our blog, follow our social media feeds, and most of all, sign up for our newsletter. You get employment law updates, but also updates on what we're up to. Uh, lastly, I always say this, please remember that none of this information that we provide replaces legal advice. And I've started to say this at conferences and even at cocktail parties. If you think you might need an employment lawyer, you probably do. So please feel free to reach out to us. And if we can help you, we'd be very happy to do so. Thanks to Rob. Thanks to Mark. Thanks to, for, to Rebecca for putting this all together. Thanks again to Richard. Thanks to you guys for joining in and uh, have a great day.